Whoop, whoop, here comes a janky episode of the Movies Are Good podcast. Do you ever find that it's when you're pushed into a little bit of a corner that it can lead to some of your most fascinating ideas? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I've got to record this episode early, so I can't see the stuff coming out this week. And that means we're making up for it in a couple of uh, interesting ways. Fortunately, I've missed a couple of the most recent Netflix movies and other interesting films that came out in the latter part of the summer. So we're going to have fun today with new romantic Korean movie, Past Lives, which I've been pretty excited about. New horror movie, Cobweb, that sounds a lot like live-action Coraline and... Well, in a couple of ways, yeah, it really feels like it for a surprising amount of time. Um, and we're checking out new animated Netflix movie, The Monkey King, which is not a Kung Fu Panda ripoff. <laughs> no, seriously, it's not. It's kind of a Hercules ripoff, but then also, no, yeah, it's a mess. It's what it is, but we'll get to that. Um, we're also checking out Asian zombie movie franchise Train to Busan, because I saw Train to Busan years ago, loved it. And then completely ignored the fact that there is an animated prequel and a sequel. And just in general, Asian zombies, they've done, they've done something really special with that over the last decade. And a lot of it was inspired by Train to Busan. And I thought I'd check out and see what they did with the rest of that franchise. And I wish I hadn't a little bit. And just to wrap it all up, just to add in there, we, I watched Zombies. Just thought I was, you know... Watching the in the Train to Busan movies, fun, good, really well built Asian horror with zombies, and I thought, yeah, watch Zombies, which is zoo zombies, zoo zombies, zoo zombies is what it is. So you know, you're just gonna have to stick around and find out what God's good green earth inspired me to put together this weird ass episode. <laughs> First up of those newer entries this week, we're talking about past lives. Now, this is the sort of thing that I've heard was supposed to be good. Then I heard a sequence of, like, rave reviews saying it was the greatest thing since sliced bread when it had its premiere during some festival or whatever it was. And since then, I've just occasionally remembered, oh, yeah, that one's coming, and now it's finally here. So past lives is about two old friends reconnecting. That's kind of it. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it's more exciting than it sounds. But only a little bit. It's a, it's a very slow, methodical, chilled-out kind of film. It plods a little bit at times, you know? But uh, basically, these two had big old boners for each other when they were kids. Nope. No, no, I can't phrase that that way. Um, but but then Nora's family moved over to North America, and her friend Sung continued to grow up in South Korea, where they were born. He tries as an adult to get back in touch with her and struggles to find her, but she contacts him, and they have the loveliest little Skype call. Skype call. Skype call? What pre-COVID world is this? Anyway, sorry. Yeah, just just had flashbacks of another life there. Um, and they ooze. They ooze chemistry. They ooze it. Sorry, I don't get to say the word ooze often. It's a fun one. But yeah, what we've got here, it's uh, something quiet, intimate, brilliant. It never feels too much like it's dragging. It feels like it's slow-paced. But not really in a bad way. And if only one of them liked the other, then this would be, without a doubt, the creepiest film ever. <laughs> oh, God, just that whole section where they're just Skyping back and forth and everything. I don't know. There's something about it that it would be really easy to re-edit it as a horror movie. Yeah, it, it would be 
too easy. <laughs> and the best thing about it is, it's not like he's kind of doing weird things and you could easily make it like she's scared of him thing, horror movie. No, it could work either way, back and forth. Yeah, they're both a little bit, like, just awkward, and that could easily be played off as creepy. It's not, and it's lovely, it really is. And that whole section feels like this just beautiful romantic like short film in itself you know if, if you had nothing else of the film around it just that bit mm, i think it would work really well it's like a 20 25 minute maybe short film that'd be great but uh they kind of move on because that couldn't be the whole film that you couldn't make a feature length of, well no don't try it <laughs> there's too many digitally based movies nowadays it's all low skype and facetime calls and missing and searching those kind of cyber thriller things we don't need more of those Especially because, oh god, some of these horror movies they do about those, right? Unfriended, that kind of stuff. The dark web crap. No, man. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. So. <laughs> Sorry, I just got a moment where I reminded myself that we were going to be talking about the zombies. The zoo zombie film in the same episode as this film. Which is just... It feels like it's real... I don't know what, what a lot of people would refer to as real cinema. And I don't really believe in that term so much. I've seen a lot of really terrible movies that make me want to believe in that term a little bit, but I don't. But this is this is just true, honest to God, simple and yet complex cinema. It's wonderful. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, it's got one of those things. I think, I think that whole creepy thing, it's one of the best things about relationships, you know? The two of them and the way you get along in the bond that you share with that other person. You couldn't act that specific way. You know, in the way that you see them acting this certain way with each other, you just, you couldn't get along in the same way with anyone else. You know, it just would be different in any other specific relationship you have. And there are maybe other people you could be happy with, you know, other lives you could be leading out there with other people. But it's just, it's not what you want. And if it's right, then you can look at other people and think they're, you know, look at them and think they're attractive, but you'll never want any kind of life or relationship you could even possibly imagine outside of what you've got with that one specific, all-encompassing person. God, I can't believe I'm talking about zoo zombies in this same episode. Anyway, yeah, this film got me mushed up hard, man. I can't believe we're talking about just this and some of the other films we're going to be talking about in the same episode. So yeah, they Skype hard, you know, they Skype it up good. They give each other a good Skype and she awkwardly asks him whether he'd ever want to come to New York. He awkwardly asks her if she'd ever want to come to South Korea again and it gets marginally awkward. Um, besides that, the whole early part of the film with them reconnecting distantly, it's it's really, it's just sweet. It's amazing. But God, when, when she says she doesn't want to talk for a while because she doesn't think either of them will be able to come see each other, uh, she just rips his heart right out, and all of ours, and it's brutal. She's mean. She's mean. Oh, yeah. And uh, from there, it just skips forward again. Basically, very quickly. She goes on a writer's retreat, meets a guy, marries him. That bitch. And then, uh, and then 7, 12, something like that years later, he's coming to New York at last for a business trip and meets with her and her husband. And it's It's awkward. Oh, it's awkward. Oh, God, it's so awkward. And you would think that it would play off the husband as an evil guy. or, But no, he's, he's very insecure about it because, yeah, he's in this position where they're just kind of sitting, talking to each other at a bar, the two of them, and he's sitting awkwardly there with them going, <laughs> and he's the clear third wheel, even though he's married to her. And he does, and they have that conversation, him and his wife. It's really awkward. Him saying, yeah, I mean, you're going to leave me for him. It's the way the story works. And he's just completely serious, and you're like, 
oh, and it's sad. It's painful to watch in a way. And it's such a contrast to the early part of the film. And by the end, you're just not left... I don't know how I feel by the end. I'm left just sitting going, huh? And it hurts. <laughs> it really... The film hurts, and it makes you think about weird stuff. It sends you from mushy to awkward to mortified for all of the characters at once. Just for all of them. It's weird. But it's genius. It really is. It's a great film. It's really well put together. I I think some people won't like the pacing, which is which is fair. It is unusual, but it didn't bother me, even though I kind of thought, hmm, this is quite strange. Uh, the cinematography, the acting is phenomenal. Uh, the writing is unusual. I did, again, like it. I wouldn't put this on, like, the next level of, like, one of my very top favorite films of the year, but overall I think it was very well made. Very well made. And I'm giving Past Lives 9 out of 10. Next up is Cobweb, which is a pretty big shift from what we were just talking about, but, yeah, it's fine. Let's go with it. Okay. Wait until you hear the plot of this one, all right? There's this kid, okay? But wait for the good part. He starts hearing things in his room at night. No, wait, wait, the good part's coming. And then bad spooky things start happening around those. It, uh, yeah. It's hard to explain what's special about this film, but there is, trust me, you gotta... <laughs> oh, God. So, right. Homelander is his dad, but it's just kind of a dad. And his mom is Lizzie Kaplan. And she's just kind of a mom, though a slightly weird, creepy one. And Cleopatra Coleman is his teacher. And she's just kind of a teacher, but... <laughs> There's just something else going on. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why I very quickly compared it in my head to something like Coraline. It's like a live-action Coraline. Because you've got this life, everything's, yeah, okay, it is what it is, nice enough. But there's this just deeply unsettling undertone about the kid's parents and about this world and about this house and everything that's going on. And you kind of, you're expecting there to be some kind of big twists as it goes. And there are several, yes. I won't specify too much, but there are several. But yeah. And basically, Peter is just living in this world where things, you know, they do. They seem a little weird. Not right. His mother is pretty terrifying. And even the teacher comes over and shows the mom this drawing of Peter crying out for help that he drew in school. And the mom just acts so suspicious about it. <laughs> Oh my god, she's just immediately so suspicious. And you can tell a little bit, and there is a slight weakness there. The film's clearly, like, really trying to, uh-oh, uh-oh, let's pull this thread. Looks like, looks like we're leading you down this road, doesn't it? Oh yeah, we sure are. Oh, she's very suspicious. The dad, oh, very creepy and weird. Yeah, we're leading you down this road, aren't we? Leading you down a certain path here. Uh-oh, is it another road we're actually leading uh, You know. And because of that, I kind of did see some of the twists coming because it was like some of the stuff was too obvious. But even so, you don't really see the direction this is going for a while. And then even when you do, there's still more twists and turns in the road. They're pretty guessable for the most part. Not fully, not fully. And there was a, you know, it was pretty unique um, considering how simplistic it sounds and how bog standard like every other horror movie it sounds there was some pretty unique stuff going on but yeah um so yeah yeah the thing for for a short film because it, it really it didn't even hit the 90 minute mark it was like 85 minutes or so um it moves fast yeah 
Seems like there's a bunch of stuff we wanted to do and it just had to keep a solid jog going to manage it all. Peter is getting bullied because it seems even eight-year-olds are complete monsters in America and nobody is doing anything because apparently everybody loves having that many school shooters. I mean, <laughs> seriously, the bullying is an aspect of literally everything involving Americans. Like, just anything set in an American school, there's just a vast amount of bullying going on. That is the subplot of every child in every American movie ever. They're getting bullied at school. Is it really that bad, or are they just, whoa, you know? <laughs> or are screenwriters just all nerds that got bullied in school? I'd believe it. <laughs> As someone who wants to be a writer. I'd, I'd, yeah, okay. Anyway, <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, um, there's this little girl voice in his wall. One second. <laughs> yeah. No, no. There's the voice of a little girl in his in his bedroom wall. Cool, 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 cool. Um, and she starts convincing him to fight back. She starts whispering in his ear like a little devil on his shoulder to, to go fight the children at school. And, and so he fucking bodies this kid. He just chucks him down a flight of stairs, breaks his legs, gets expelled. And at no point during any of this are we supposed to think that there's a chance the little girl in the wall speaking to him is a bad thing. <laughs> because we're being led down the road of, oh, the parents are the bad ones, the parents are the bad ones. Yeah, the parents are definitely evil. And the thing is, mm, no, don't want to get too into spoilers for the final act too much. But yeah, so <laughs> the heightening of the weirdness as the film continues is exponential. You know, he comes home and the parents are like, you've been expelled, huh? Well then, and they just move the fridge and there's this door behind the fridge and they unlock the door behind the fridge and then there's a basement behind the door behind the fridge and they just kind of shove him in there for a few days. And, and from there, it just manages to keep going boom, 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 boom in the weirdness scale and it's pretty freaky by the end, you know? It is an insane thing. And there are some things the film did that I really didn't expect it to do. I'll, even once you saw the direction it was going... I was pretty shocked by some of what it did. I was pretty impressed by some of what it did. So fair enough on that level. And in general, it is well done. It is well executed. I don't I don't want to go too into the final act and what happened, but this kind of film with all these twists and turns, it's got to stick to landing, you know? That is, that is one of the main factors because you've got all these mysteries, all these twists, all these turns, all these whatever going on. And then it kind of unravels. And you have to be left with something good in the third act. Otherwise, it feels like, oh, what the fuck? Why do we care about any of that? And it's pretty silly. The third act is pretty damn silly. Pretty over the top. Unnecessarily so. It's enjoyable enough. But this could have been a better film if it just stuck the landing a little bit better. Still, though, I enjoyed it. I think it's worth a watch, especially if you like kind of horror movies, twisty, turny things. And if you enjoy a good horror movie that starts with a simple premise and then kind of goes somewhere unique. Let's put it that way. Overall, I'm giving Cobweb 7 out of 10. It's kind of on the verge, I think, between 6 and 7. It's, it's about there. It's not perfect, but it's definitely interesting. Can't call it boring. No. Anyway, last of the new ones this week is... The Monkey King. A film that nothing just ever excited me about it. No, nothing at all. 
And at first I thought it might be a brutally Americanizing of all Chinese mythological culture in a similar way to Kung Fu Panda, you know? But it isn't actually anything really like Kung Fu Panda. It's still a brutalizing of American, you know, a very, very Americanized version of all Chinese mythological culture. But, um, yeah, everything this does is kind of terrible. <laughs> everything. It's like Hercules if Meg was just friendly with him while betraying him. And if Hercules was five times more asshole than Hero, the entire film, the, the whole thing, not, not 95% of the film, not he comes good at the end, really. No just an asshole. He's just a straight-up asshole. It's crazy. It's like if Ebenezer Scrooge woke up on Christmas Day and said, hmm, fuck the purr. <laughs> it's really, it's a really odd film. Um, and I, I, this is coming from someone, just so you know, right, this is coming from someone who champions Netflix animated films. I make fun of Netflix original movies all the time, but they're animated movies I mostly love. I love so many of them. I think they're great. The Willoughby's, Mitchell vs. the Machines, Klaus. These are some of my favorite animated movies in the last, like, ten years. All of them. They're all great. Over the Moon? Awesome. So many of them. Nimona. Oh, but this? Mm, no. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Didn't have me interested from seeing the trailer, from seeing the plot. I saw the reviews and went... Yeah. And uh, and honestly, I think the reviews are being a little kind. That's how annoying and bad I thought this was. It's just rough. Yeah. Um, there's this little girl. She meets this monkey king. He, he was born from an egg in the sky, a stone egg. And then he came down, tried to make friends with the monkeys. One of them got just fucking eaten by a demon. And, and then he got cast out because that was his fault. He didn't really, he didn't, he didn't know that could happen, but it was his fault. And, um, and then, yeah, they all treat him like an outcast forever. But then this little girl meets him, and he, he finds this magic stick, which he steals from this dragon underwater. There's a lot that happens in, like, the opening 15, 20 minutes. This is all, it just, boom, 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 boom. The monkey is born, does that, grows up, then steals the stick from the dragon king underwater, and then goes and uses the magic stick, but the magic stick does all the fighting for him. He's not even good at fighting. I don't think he ever gets good at fighting. It's unclear. Sometimes it seems like he can fight himself, but the stick does everything for him. So, yeah, it doesn't matter. Anyway, he's got this magical stick. Nobody explains. Nobody where it came from. I don't know. And he defeats this demon, and then he finds out that maybe he can join the immortals up in heaven and whatever if he defeats a hundred demons. So he does that. That's not the plot. That all's... That that's also finished within the first, like, 20 minutes. This film, I was talking about how quickly Cobweb moved. This film moves at light speed through a very shit plot. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. It's not that bad. Okay, it's not. But it is just crap. It's just fairly crap. It really is. There's not an aspect about this that I enjoyed. The comedy felt forced. The script was Bad. The characters sucked. The songs, Rand, and just a couple, just thrown in there, felt really out of place, were bad. And very short, not even, I don't even know why they were there. It wasn't even, you know, uh, I was very upset at just about all of this, yeah. So anyway, he meets this girl who made a deal with the Dragon King to steal the monkey's mystical stick weapon in return for the Dragon King saving her village from drought, because the Dragon King is also the god of weather, or I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me to explain it. It's so bad. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, it's not like she's a bad person, but she kind of is. And she constantly lectures the Monkey King after becoming his assistant about how much of a shit he is and how he's going to end up all alone one day. They, people keep saying that to him, that he's going to end up all alone one day, even though he has always lived alone. Like, he grew up talking to, like, coconuts. So they're lecturing him, saying, if you're a bastard like this, you're going to end up alone, even though he's always been alone, and nobody's ever made him feel any love or warmth ever. And that's basically, yeah, even the little girl who lectures him about how to be a better person, and he does become, like, marginally, slightly, but not really, a better person. And then he gets worse again, and um, almost destroys everybody and everything. And I think this is a movie about how school shooters are made. I'm serious. I'm not, no, no, I made a joke earlier, but <laughs> I don't see what else the point of this film is. Because I don't really want to spoil the, uh, the whole ending, but literally, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not even a, he stops himself at the very end because he's actually a good person. The little girl has to stop him, you know, from destroying everyone and everything and becoming ruler of all heaven and whatnot by killing all the gods and Buddha and whatever. So, yeah. He was marginalized, pushed away by people for his entire life, and then tried to just kill everybody. Yeah, it's, it is it is a lot of the plot itself, besides that, does feel kind of similar in some different ways to, like, Hercules. But if it was Chinese mythology instead of Greek mythology, and if it sucked. I am sorry, this is just a bad film, and whatever point it was trying to make, it did horribly. Because I can't, I don't know what it is if it's not the school shooter thing, and if it's the school shooter thing, that's... Wow. <laughs> it's Wow. And I think even the ending is kind of the point is like, oh, yeah, but, he, you know, if even if he's a school shooter and almost kills everybody but gets stopped, not of his own volition, by somebody else, he'll go to jail and get out one day. Man, I'm serious. This film was so confusing. It also, by the way, featured one of my animated movie pet peeves. My biggest one, actually. The villain turns into a kaiju for no reason in the third act, yeah. But it's also the, the the villain, the Dragon King is the villain the whole time, and then just is irrelevant, basically, in the finale. Almost. Almost irrelevant. Yeah. There's so much to talk about here, but I really just want to move on, because this film just made me feel sad. I actually, by the end of it, was kind of like, oh my god, that's the fucking ending, you're kidding me. It, it's such a disastrous, weird ending. And, yeah, I know, obviously, the point they were trying to make can't, I don't think, have actually been... Anything to do with that stuff, but wow. There was nothing else. There was nothing else to it. There was, there was nothing else that made me feel like there was any other lesson to be learned there. Yeah. Anyway, I'm giving the Monkey King, like, I don't know, three <laughs> out of ten, which still feels marginally generous. It wasn't like every aspect of it was that badly made. Most of it was just aggressively mediocre and kind of subpar. But yeah, everything about the story, where it leads, and the messages is actually mortifying to me. I hated it. Wait a second. This movie is terrible. Okay, let's move on to something 
not better, but weirder. Because movies are bad, you know? And we watch. We give all cinema a chance. Not much of one, because I always shit on whatever comes up in this segment. But, you know, we give all movies a chance, including the B-movies, indie movies, movies by companies like The Asylum. And I'm going to go on a quick rant here, okay? This week, we're doing zombies. Zoo zombies. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Hear me out here. What if animals were zombies? That's it. Or what if we figured out how to make Jurassic Park? Butt shitter. Yeah. (laughs) So, this, uh, yeah. Here's my thing, right? i watched a lot of these. I've watched a lot of these for this segment now. And some of them are from The Asylum, which is a company that just blatantly rips uh, every movie in, in the world, you know? They made Transmorphers when Transformers came out. They made Alan Quartermain in the Temple of Skulls when the fourth Indiana Jones came out. They made Ape vs. Monster when Godzilla vs. Kong came out. Like, you know? But my problem with them isn't that these films kind of have the budget to make, like, actual movies if they wanted. Not, like, not like good budget, but compared to any of the other indie movies I watch, any of the other B-movies, they, they got, like, significant budget. The sound quality, the, you know, video quality, the acting quality, it's all not really high, but significant levels up above any other indie or B-movies. The Asylum actually have budget. They make a lot of these. My problem is that most of the films are done without even an inch of heart. They are made to just be there. And I hate that. Because at least, you know, ridiculous out-there indie movies like Killer Sofa or Night of the Were Rooster or The Velocipaster are funny or try to be funny or try to do something. And sometimes they fail and are actually worse than this kind of level because they tried to be funny and were so miserably bad at it. But sometimes it works. You know, honestly, I've watched The Velocipaster a few times because it's actually just really funny. This, no. It's it's a film about zoo animals getting infected with a virus. that They inject one monkey with, with this serum thing that they're not meant to use, and then it immediately, within five seconds flat, infects every other monkey because it's become airborne immediately. And then they're all zombies. And then they go and infect all the other animals. And... It's, it's a quirky, funny time. You ever want to see a koala eat a child? <laughs> no. <laughs> Too bad, because, yeah, we're not going to do that, because they just, they, they're not ballsy enough. The Asylum, weirdly, for this kind of film, it feels sanitized. You know, it feels like it's meant to be, like, family-friendly, even though it's, it's not. <laughs> like, there there is, like, blood and stuff, but it feels so weirdly sanitized. It's it's like if Hallmark made zombie animal movies. Yeah. And it is just Jurassic Park. You know, it wasn't... It didn't come out, I don't think. Actually, maybe it did come out near Jurassic World, and that's why. Ah, that makes sense, because I couldn't figure out what this was actually meant to be ripping off. Maybe it's just Jurassic World, yeah. Anyway, it's just Jurassic Park, because... You just replace, there's these college kids that are all trying to get internships at the zoo. It's their orientation day. So everything is closed and there's not a lot of public. So they have, you know, they get away with having a limited cast. And act one is just, they all come in and they talk about all these great high security measures they've got to keep all the animals safe. And then act two is all of those doing shit, (laughs) doing fuck all. (laughs) And, And then the whole thing is just, to be fair, the plot is that they're just trying to stop any of the infected animals getting to the aviary because if they infect the birds and they get out, then the whole world's fucked. I liked that part. That that was actually a somewhat sensible plot to have for this kind of thing. But yeah, it's um, it's bad. 
And there is there is a scene where a koala zombie faces off with this little girl child. And you know what? <laughs> if they weren't going to have the koala eat the child, which would have been great, they should have at least shown us the child beating the koala to death with a baseball bat. They don't. That happens, but they don't show it. Her mother just walks in, and the child is there covered in blood, and the koala is in pieces on the ground. So they just, they really rip all the fun out of this. And it sounds like there's no way that they're not completely taking the mickey. You know, having loads of fun with this really silly idea, right? They're not. <laughs> they're just not. Nothing about this is fun. Nothing about it's meant to be funny. It's so drab. It's so dry. It's so plain white toast. And it's a movie about zoo animals becoming zombies and trying to eat people. There's a scene where giraffes are trying to, like, grab them out of the trees and eat them. Like, I'm going to see those terribly CGI nightmare giraffes deep within the recesses of my soul forever, by the way. But, yeah, it's so incredible to me how they managed to make this film with this plot this dull. <laughs> it's not like it's not like that level of terrible, you know, for, for one of these movies. It's probably like a six or a seven. You know, it's, it's quite good. But the world don't work like that, and we judge on an actual scale of how good this is as an actual film. So, yeah, life's not fair. I'm sad. I really, really want to watch so many Asylum movies based on the title and a poster, and then those end up being just by far the most exciting things about the film. It's really sad. So many of these should be so much funnier and stupider than they are, but they aren't. They're weirdly serious, supremely bland, not badly made in most ways, considering it's still a relatively low budget. But that's all that's all it does to get it. So it'd be a two out of ten. Alright. It's ranking time! <laughs> Ooh, ranking time. This is a weird one for sure, but hear me out. Train to Busan. The Train to Busan franchise. Yeah. I wanted this week to do Asian zombie movies, okay? Because there's a bunch of them. Japanese, Korean especially. Loads of great films they've made in the zombie genre over the last decade or so. It's just become a big deal. Big subgenre cinema over there recently. But I don't really, I'll just be honest, I don't have time to go through as many of them as I wanted, so I thought I'll just deal with the actual Train to Busan franchise, since there's three of those. And, yeah, it is, it's kind of the definitive one. As much as I don't think Train to Busan actually started the Asian zombie craze, it's the definitive one as far as people that are as white as me are concerned, because this is the one, Train to Busan, that made it to the West. Big. I think I heard talk about them making a potential, like, American remake of it, which would be so unnecessarily stupid. It's so unbelievably stupid, but they probably will at some stage. Anyway, Train to Busan blew everybody out of them. Just... And then, Seoul Station came out, which is an anime, a, a South Korean anime. First time I saw a South Korean anime movie, I think. South Korean anime movie prequel that happened like i think just the day before Busan, and then they made peninsula which is a surprisingly westernized though i suppose not that surprisingly given that Busan got so big in the west 
a surprisingly westernized sequel that takes place four years later. And I don't know if we're really getting much more in this franchise, except for possibly an American reboot, but, uh, well, I'll explain why maybe we just don't need to as I go. Three. First up, and worst up, is Seoul Station. Yes, this is the anime one. And, yeah, I, I feel like it's it's nice to, to be able to talk about an anime movie when you're talking about a, a list of Asian zombie films, right? The problem is, um, it's not that good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Train to Busan in anime form, in essence, sounds like it should be great because there's already so many great things they do with zombies in Train to Busan itself that I kind of thought in my head, yeah, this is going to be cool, what they can do with the artistic flair of anime built into the style of that world. That could be really great. It's not. No. I was surprised that the South Korean anime style looks so hand-drawn. There was something a little bit off, just a little bit not really for me about the artistic style. That's fine. You know, it, it probably would work better for other people. It wasn't really for me, but that, you know, that's that's not a big deal. It didn't really turn me off a huge amount, you know? And I thought for most of the film, it worked well enough to get by, you know? The story was quite similar in some ways to Train to Busan, you know? The main plot boils down to this girl ran away from home to shack up with a shithead boyfriend who has been trying to force her into prostitution in order to make enough money for rent. And I think the point of that boyfriend character is to remind us that there are some things worse than being an undead flesh-eating demon. <laughs> anyway, the girl's father has been looking for her and meets up with the boyfriend to try and find her just as the first outbreak begins in Seoul. And she gets trapped in a prison cell, trying to escape a bunch of zomboys, while her father and hopefully ex-boyfriend try to get to her, while having no idea where she is, yeah. And th th that is the weird thing. She escapes the prison, and then she keeps moving, and then she calls them and, you know, lets them know she's safe, and they're like, oh, we're going to come find you. And then she's like, cool, 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 and then moves and goes somewhere completely different, and just, yeah. Film would have been a lot shorter if she just sat still somewhere and told them, I'm here, you know? But whatever. Anyway, she keeps moving, and she's with this homeless guy, and they're trying to make it through the sewers and stuff, and they keep running into zombies, and it's all, whoo! stuff's going on and there is this one great scene and when i say that it's yeah it's kind of the only great scene in the film but the, after experiencing all this the whole outbreak and stuff her and the homeless guy are just down the sewers like midway through the film and and she's just kind of like starting to cry and says like i want to go home and he's like me too but i don't have a home and they both just stand there crying for a while that was really good. But that was literally, I think, the only scene that I thought was actually good. The rest of it, the plot just feels very plotting. Yeah. Um, I thought that it was going to be very like Train to Busan, very focused on the father-daughter dynamic. It's not for several reasons. But the main one being that the father and the daughter are just barely ever in the same room together. So the focus is much more on just survival. And I mean, that's fine, like all these movies, they're zombie movies, they're about survival. But this one felt the least like it had anything besides that going on, you know? In Shaun of the Dead, in Zombieland, Scout's Guide to Zombie Apocalypse, the focus is on survival, but also on comedy and, and stuff, you know? And, and this one, it, it wasn't really trying to be a horror movie, it wasn't much of a thriller. It wasn't much of a drama, even, if that makes sense. Like, once you strip back everything else, you think it's just a drama. It wasn't even much of that. It was, 
yeah, I guess mild thriller it, it, at times, but generally it was just a bit boring and plotting, and the the artistic style really didn't do anything to add to that. It didn't make the world feel alive at all. It felt very bland, really. So that was kind of sad. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It felt like a weird thing that was just kind of happening, and then it pulled all the rugs out from under me with the finale, which was, yeah... I think one of the stupidest twists in cinematic history, because the father's not her father. He's her pimp, and he's come to get her because she owes him money. That's why he stuck with the boyfriend through hordes of zombies, instead of just leaving as quickly as possible from the city. Just because he wanted to get her back that badly. Because she owed him money. And that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But then also the finale, not about zombies so much, about them, him, they're trying to fight him off and, and everybody dies. <laughs> it's the stupidest ending to a kind of just subpar to begin with film I've ever seen. And I feel like I'm generous in giving Seoul Station 4 out of 10. Two. So prequel was the worst and unsurprisingly, sequel is up next, yeah. Peninsula, also known as Train to Busan Presents Peninsula, just in case you didn't get the fact that this is a sequel. <laughs> if you like Train to Busan, watch this. Pummeling into me. Anyway, it's a sequel that takes place four years after the events of the first film. It is much more Western, just way more Western. Not as in it's a Western, like, oh, shoot him up, cowboy. <laughs> I don't know why that's my go-to Western voice. <laughs> but they even speak in English. Not all the time by any means, but for longer periods during the film than I was expecting, for sure. It is also Korean Army of the Dead. Yeah. I think this came out in 2020. Was Army of the Dead 2020 or 2021? Either way. I think this maybe came out first. But it's it's a heist. The whole idea is that this group of people who got out during the initial outbreak are getting sent back in by Chinese gangsters to retrieve a truck that contained 20 million US dollars. That's the whole plan. And it almost works, which is weird, because none of the cars they try to drive ever have trouble. Like, I know it's it's a big oh, horror movie cliche for an engine not to start, but you've got the perfect excuse to actually use that here, because these cars have all been sitting abandoned for four years, so their batteries would actually be dead. It doesn't matter. Anyway, they almost get away, but some cheeky boys with flares get in their way and attract a bunch of zombies, prompting everything to go wrong. Who could have imagined that going into the most dangerous place on Earth for cash could so quickly turn into a fight to even survive. Everyone. <laughs> like, everyone could have guessed that. Real pet peeve of mine. When they go into a situation where they're like, everything could go wrong, and then it just does. In exactly the way you, you and everyone expects. It's just annoying to me. <laughs> but yeah, so after everything goes to shit, our main man is saved by a young woman with a couple of little girls, her daughters, and they've been living in this destroyed part of Korea for years. And so conveniently enough, have a bunch of bad dudes who'll kill pretty much anyone for no reason. And that's when you realize that this isn't actually Army of the Dead anymore. It's just Mad Max. This dude turns up, helps a much more impressive leading lady than he is, try to get these girls out of this bad place, which is an apocalyptic wasteland filled with all these men that are just chasing them and want to kill them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the whole like big final act chase scene. It's it's literally yeah, it's a chase scene in cars. Very minimalistic on ever having you know zombies. There's zombies at the end, at the very end, and there's zombies occasional other times. <laughs> They're just really not much of a factor. It is it is Mad Max. The humans are the bad guys, and even Trade to Busan had human bad guys, but it managed to make the zombies the primary threat anyway. And this film, I it didn't really try to do that, and it. It was a big failure for it, I think, personally. I think that was a real fuck-up. I don't know why they did that. But anyway, yeah. The truck, the money, it's a MacGuffin. They need to get to the port to try and get out. That's everybody's goal. There's our group of mean guy and happy campers, the people who are with the bad dudes but want out, and the bad dudes themselves. Oh, and the zombies, just occasionally. Yep. And there are some cool zombie shots, but they're made to feel like such a secondary threat in this one that it just it really doesn't help them out. And, yeah, the threat of them, the style, special effects, it just generally feels like there was maybe a lower budget for this one, or that they had to put so much into the destroyed Korean set pieces this time that they didn't really have enough room for a lot of of the really go-big-or-go-home zombie scenes, which they kind of just went all out in the first, and that's what really made it so stunning. Anyway, to be fair, the first also, nothing besides the cool zombie shots, had, like, you know, amazing characters great story, both of which this is just kind of lacking to various degrees. Everything goes to shit in an interesting way in the final act, but the one thing that stays insanely consistent throughout this film is how the protagonist feels to do absolutely everything and anything he's trying to accomplish. Yeah, my goodness, you can say what you want about how little Indiana Jones affects the plot of his movies, but this dude just messes up everything he touches. It is almost impressive, but the opposite of that. Anyway, yeah, they do a big Mad Max-style final scene. Did it, uh, you know, it it was okay. They didn't tragically mess it up. It was nowhere near as good as Mad Max, and none of this film is. But it was was pretty good, you know. Um, There are a few other points about this. Again, like the artistic style of Seoul Station, which was animated, this in live action, it, it, it builds this really drab world. And I mean, I get it, it's post-apocalyptic, you want something drab maybe, but yeah, just there was nothing about vibrancy or colour throughout. It was just a really boring-looking film most of the time, which was upsetting. Um, And yeah, apart from that, I don't know. Things like the zombies feeling so muted and like such a lack of focus on them, I don't know. It was upsetting to me. Felt like it was more like they were trying to build a TV show or something out of this world now. Which, I don't know, maybe they are. But I haven't heard anything about it yet. It just didn't do much for me. It didn't really quite justify its own existence overall as a sequel. It was better than Seoul Station, but it was relatively disappointing overall. Though mostly just in comparison to how good Trader Busan was. Anyway, I'm giving Peninsula 6 out of 10. One. Train to Busan. Boy, what a movie. This is a clear number one. I've already talked about how Seoul Station felt plodding in terms of the main body of the film as it dealt with the outbreak. Train to Busan deals with the day after that initial outbreak in Seoul as it spreads across other parts of the country. And you get exactly what you want in terms of handling an outbreak of this nature. It's slow, methodical for a while, builds it up. You can feel it coming, like the volcano in Dante's Peak. You know it's going to explode. And then when it goes, just like when the deep water horizon blows up, or when the Titanic hits the iceberg, when the tornado touches the ground, or when the wave hits New York City, the shit really feels like it just hits the fan, and it gets intense. 
and it just really keeps up the intensity from there for the rest of the film in a uniquely impressive way. It doesn't have much downtime at all. I really love this film. It may be the overall epitome of a zombie movie for me. I'm not sure if there is one that I honestly prefer. I don't know. you got great ones like Zombieland's great, Shaun of the Dead, 28 Days Later, Dawn of the Dead, but... I think this might be my favourite overall zombie film. It's just awesome. And the story is great because it's just, it's simple enough, you know? It's about a father and daughter. He's trying to bring her to Basan to be with her mother because he is shit at being a father. But fortunately for him, he's got the chance to make up for all of that by womaning up and protecting his daughter like a boss. They get on the train. World is okay. Very quickly after that, world is not so okay. And when the zombies get on board, it's just phenomenal, it really is. There's silliness and wackiness to this at times in certain ways. It's got a little bit of OTT to it, you know? It's just it's it's just within the bounds of not feeling like not making you roll your eyes up how silly it is, you know? And I love so much about this. It's got a big check train. <laughs> I I could do a whole ranking. I should do a whole ranking someday. Of just train movies. Because I think train movies are phenomenal. They're such a good setting for so many different types of film. It's such a good set piece. You just, you can meet people on trains. You can you can have a thriller. A crazy thriller with a derailment and stuff at the end. You can have a murder mystery. Murder on the Orient Express. Phenomenal. You can have so many different types of films just work. I think on a train. It's just such a fantastic setting. I love trains. I really do. <laughs> I'm not some sort of train enthusiast. But for like storytelling purposes. I think trains are awesome. Anyway. There's that. There's the incredibly special way they handle the zombies. The actual like one single carnivorous minded beast horde of zombie style they go into here. It World War Z I think is the only other zombie film that even gets close and i mean it has more scale to it but this does it better this does it better with the zombies and yeah some of those scenes where they're just a mass of humanity like crashing out the glass and falling down onto the train and things it's nuts it's so impressive and then yeah once they get on the train obviously most people are fucked and they have a lot of great characters even if they don't have a lot of time to characterize all of them there's so many great characters in there one of the actors was so good he got cast in in eternals he he became a marvel superhero because he was just that good in in some korean zombie movie it's nuts it's so impressive and that is the thing you even watching it back, okay? A lot of these films, I find, if they've got little bits of story and subplot for characters who you know they're going to die because you've rewatched, you know, your Ronald rewatch, or you've watched it like 10 times, which is probably how many times I've seen this by now, sometimes you just don't care about those characters and their stories anymore. I still do, because it's still, it's just, it, it's simple, you know? This high school girlfriend and boyfriend, this, this guy whose his wife's pregnant and he's just trying to protect her and make sure she survives. And he's just a badass. There's so many great simplistic characters there. They just keep it simple, stupid. You know, that's all you got to do with with story in this kind of thing. Seal Station, it really just didn't have anything for any of the characters. It had nothing going on. Peninsula, it had some stuff. It had, it had some bits and that kind of came through quite well at the end, actually, which did help it. But nothing on the level of this. This just, it's so incredible. It really is. And at the heart of it, it's a film about, like, family. You know, about about father-daughter protecting those you love and how familial bonds, they just get closer in these situations. And that's just, it's beautiful. It's simple. It's wonderful. It's a great train thriller. 
It's the number one best zombie design and feel of maybe any film just ever. It's got a beautiful, simplistic message. And just great characters and great set pieces, great everything. Everything about this just hit it on the head. It really did, and it impressed me to the level that I want to go and watch a bunch of other Asian zombie movies, because there's a few that came out in the five or so years before this. There's a few that have come out since. There's a couple on Netflix I want to check out as well. And, yeah, it, it got me interested in a whole new subgenre of cinema, because it's just that well put together. It's just that incredible. And it did manage, like I said earlier, to have this human factor of human villains without overwhelming in any way the zombie threat, making the zombie threat the primary thing still. <sighs> that was well done. And a lot of films, a lot of things around like post-apocalyptic and zombies, they feel at that. They make zombies feel very irrelevant very quickly, which is super annoying. This made zombies feel like a bigger threat than they felt like in, I don't know, 20, 25 years in any movie. Made them feel like a proper horror movie villain again. And that was awesome. But I'm giving Trade to Busan a strong 9 out of 10. And I'm just sad this week that I didn't have more time to get through more Asian zombie films, but I'm very excited to give some of the other ones I find a go in the future. That was a relatively simple ranking. Seal Station, the prequel at the dead bottom. Sequel Peninsula in second place, where sequels oh too often belong, especially in zombie franchises. How many zombie franchises improved on the first? Not this one. Not so far, anyway. And I doubt they'll really get much more chance. I hope they don't do an American remake. That would be insanely dumb. Obviously. Anyway... That's all for this week, folks. I've got plenty to do next week. A little catching up on a couple of recently released films again. Strays, for one. The Will Ferrell dog R-rated comedy that literally, literally, came and went from cinemas around here so quickly that even I missed it. And I normally see things like weekend release. I just didn't see that the week it came out, and then by the next week it was just gone. <laughs> it was nuts. Um, we're also checking out Gal Gadot in Heart of Stone, a Netflix thriller that I'm sure will be just aggressively average, slightly subpar. Um, and I'm watching The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is based on literally one chapter of the original book, Dracula, which is, just seems nuts, but I'm interested to see what they did with it. I'm also delving into The Big Boy and ranking all of the Conjuring Universe movies, including the new Nun sequel. And we'll be talking about something else horrifying on Movies Are Bad, I'm sure. Haven't quite decided what yet. I saw a couple of really weird ones this week. There's a movie about zombie beavers that I saw while looking up zombies. Tempting. Until next time, though, thank you guys for watching this episode of the Movies Are Good podcast. I've been your host, Pie Man, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>